This is Common Decency, a Nomad London podcast. Checking in. Photographer and filmmaker Alex Prager's most recent body of work, Part One The Mountain, shows her subjects in a series of breathtaking and curious positions. These are characters of Prager's own invention, and their portraits walk a fine line between opposing realities. Depending on your experience, you'll see theirs differently. Maybe they're soaring, or maybe they're about to crash. Are they ecstatic with joy, or struck down by pain? Do the stories told in Prager's new film reveal what breaks the hearts of her characters? Or do they offer up details of what steadies their souls? Alex Prager grew up in Los Angeles and talks about becoming a photographer as if she herself had been struck by lightning. There was a jolt, and it changed her forever. In recent years, her work has focused on large-scale shots of crowds, making use of big casts, loads of costumes, and locations humming like movie sets. But Part 1 The Mountain is anchored by a fresh intimacy and by the ways in which the pandemic has scaled back human interaction while ramping up our feelings as individuals to unprecedented and even unmanageable heights. It's an emotional show made by an artist who begins her process with the requisite fears and ends by offering her viewers a world of new hope. Alex Prager is my guest. I'm Howie Kahn with Common Decency. I've got Alex Prager from the back of a taxi zooming to her new show in London, part one, The Mountain, at Lehman Maupin, up through March 5th. Hi, Alex. Hi. From what I understand, you had a eureka moment seeing some William Eggleston photos. It was a big spark for you. Can you tell me what spoke to you about those images? (laughs) Eureka moment. That's funny. That's true. I I normally say I was struck blind by a vision (laughs) because at the time it felt very, very dramatic. I was working several jobs, like uh, going nowhere type jobs, kind of just like not very exciting or inspiring. And I had this moment while sitting in my cubicle where I really wanted to do something different and I realized that this was the rest of my life in the cubicle basically so to speak unless I did something drastic to change that trajectory that I was on so I ended up going to different museums and galleries and seeing band play and just really searching out the thing that I could put my energy into and and on one of these excursions I ended up at a William Eggleston show and I saw photography for the first time being um, used as art. I was, I, I was just used to photography and in advertisement and fashion and stuff like that and family photos, you know, snapshots. And seeing these pictures on the walls of the museum, it was just this moment where um, I had all of these I had a crazy emotional reaction, first of all, um, to a picture that just seemed like it shouldn't make me feel that way. It shouldn't do that to me. So part of it was the mystery of, like, what the fuck is going on here? Um, 
I needed to know more because it felt like some sort of magic was stirred up in me. And I felt really connected to this picture. And it was literally just like some dirty shoes under a bed or something. And, and I also knew that I really knew in that moment that I wanted to elicit some kind of reaction like that in others. So I wanted to know everything about what was happening. And, um, and so I bought his book at the museum shop. I, I got um, a camera on a camera at a used camera store like there. And I bought darkroom equipment on eBay like four days later. And so a weekend I was like, basically everything I needed to be a photographer. Did you go back to the cubicle or was it so dramatic that you saw the the photograph of the shoes and you were just done? I think it was about two years later that I, I, I was 20, I think I was 20 or like just turned 21. It was about two years later that I, um, that I finally quit my job and just decided to eat pop ramen noodles for 20 cents, five for a dollar. Um, <laughs> and and just put all my money into into film and, and processing. So what's interesting to me about that story is that you kind of felt your calling um, and then you were actually really good at it and you were able to develop a really unique, cool point of view. Your Your work looks like your work and has looked like your work for a long time. How did you figure out what you wanted your stuff to look like early on? What were some of the um, big moments in terms of developing that point of view? I mean, that's very kind of you to say (laughs) that it looked like my work from very early on, but I think it took me a while to really find my voice. I remember this, I remember this one moment where um, at an exhibition I was having an opening, I was having everyone was, you know, everyone was there and I, I was talking to people and I kept hearing Hitchcock's name coming up which I'm a huge fan of Hitchcock's movies and and maybe that was just coming in a little too close and I kept hearing Cindy Sherman's name coming up in relation to my work and again like I love Cindy Sherman's work she's brilliant and I didn't want it I didn't want it to be as close as it as it seemed that people felt that it was so I was like this is too close for comfort and so there's always been those moments I mean especially early on when I was really trying to find my own voice and I was putting everyone I love into the pictures like literally but also metaphorically I was just putting things that I love in the pictures and and if I saw um, you know a, a great movie or fell in love with a director and watched all the movies and everything that would go in it too and so so it took a while I think before I did really find my own rhythm and my own aesthetic call, like cry. But yeah, that's part of the fun of it too, because, you know, I used to, I used to look at the pictures I was making in the middle of the night, I would wake up and and just look through the, the pictures that I had created. And, and I would think a lot about what I was doing and, and what the pictures meant to me and what did, what have I got right? What have I got wrong? And, that's why I loved doing shows early on too, is talking to other people about what what was coming through that I wanted to come through and what wasn't coming through. And that's one not a bad place to start with people saying your your work reminds them of Hitchcock and, and Cindy Sherman. It's certainly a lot more confidence building than hearing your work looks like 
the catalog from Sears or something like that. But that must have been heartening to hear in terms of, you know, finding a way forward in a way. Yeah, I mean, I've always been very intuitive about my path, you know, thus the, you know, dropping everything and deciding to become a photographer in the first place after seeing one exhibition, you know, it's just like, um, those are the kind, those are the moments you don't really want to ignore. And, and I felt like I knew that the, the pictures I was making were leading to something and, and it felt right. And it was fun. I was having so much fun, you know, and I was learning so much in the beginning, especially it was really all about following my nose and following my instincts and I think getting really analytical and like overthinking something and guessing when you're in that early stage of trying to find your voice I think that just gets in the way I didn't have any other photographer friends back then either so I mean I had one a little later on that I met and he had just been through art school and he was all bummed out and like <laughs> second guessing himself and everything <laughs> so I was like whoa I'm glad I didn't meet I didn't glad I didn't meet you three years ago because I probably would have started second guessing myself too yeah there's the I mean the whole system of subjecting yourself to the critiques which is such a big part of the process you can learn a lot and it can also be kind of soul crushing I remember graduating from my MFA program and I remember my thesis advisor said, congratulations, welcome to a lifetime of suffering and rejection. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> I was like, I just paid a lot of money for that, for that line. Um, and he was, he was very smart and a very good writing teacher and a brilliant person and, and poet. But I mean, man, and he was right in a lot of, in a lot of ways. <laughs> but it's, it's something the institution tells you either um, explicitly or, or implicitly. And hearing it from you when you're kind of on your own, uh, you kind of get to, to make your own vibe, which is nice. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's just been like really fun and really um, exciting and like weird, weird shit has happened along the way and, you know, really sad, heartbreaking things have happened. And, and it just is all mashed up into this one big thing that I'm just constantly being challenged by and learning I think if I if I wasn't if I didn't find it extremely terrifying every time I start a new project and it didn't feel really challenging and and new every time then then yeah I wouldn't be doing it I think because I'm just I've I've made this weird little path and it's all it's really like every time it's like I'm like down the yellow brick road of lions and tigers and bears oh my lions and tigers and bears oh my you know, it feels like that every time I start a new project. <laughs> so, so that's fun. Whatever I'm starting to go to go into next, that seems so scary. At least I've got my my Tin Man, my scarecrow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know how we got into this Wizard of Oz analogy, but it's quite uh, fun. <laughs> I like it. It's 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 apt. Um, and and I want to talk about people at length, but I don't want to miss the opportunity to talk about um, a couple themes that you just mentioned which is weird and, and heartbreaking shit happening along the way. Um, I'd be remiss not to talk about those things because I think they're important and interesting and relatable. So how does the weird and heartbreaking shit get into your work or make it hard to make work? What's the relationship between the weirdness and the heartbreak of, of real life and then what comes out creatively for you? Well, so I guess 
I mean, you know, there's a lot of different things, but um, I think a lot of the heartbreak is just what challenges I face in the world along with everyone else. So that's always something I'm putting into the work. Like this latest body of work, The Mountain, is very much about the heartbreaking stuff of the last two years. So to to be confronting that and going through that and putting that into the work is, has been, you know, it's, I mean, to put it into the work is actually cathartic, to be honest. Let me ask you about how you put this show together because, you know, a lot of your work involves lots of people and a big set and cameras on cranes or um, cherry pickers or, or whatever and location scouting and all this stuff that in a, you know, in a pre-pandemic world was kind of part of the thrill of, of making certain kinds of works of art and an exciting thing about people who, you know, for people who like production, which I'm sure you must because a lot of it goes into your work. This show has a lot of sort of more tightly focused shots of, of individual people, which is something you did earlier in your career too. Tell me about the decisions, you know, creatively behind like what this body of work was going to be for you and, and what it had to be in terms of making it during this time. Who are these people falling down or, or flying away? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, was, um, it was important for me to do something that reflected the emotional roller coaster that I'd been on for the past two years with everyone. I wanted to really put something there that that could reflect that for not only me to kind of bring some sort of maybe some small bit of understanding, but also to just be just just like kind of as a cathartic process to, um, to do something that felt really honest about what had been going on and everything had been so had felt so out of my control and still kind of does like the future feels very unsettled and time has been such an abstract sort of thing in all this like where are we going what's really happened in the last two years it felt like we've been kind of standing still but um but we're all two years older you know which is really fucked up so there's just been a lot of confusion and questions and I and that tumultuous sort of um, disquieting feeling about all that I wanted to put into into these portraits. And at first, of course, at the beginning, I was thinking about crowd pictures and, you know, how am I, I was having kind of a crisis moment when I realized that I wouldn't be able to make work anymore. Like I just, I'm sure everyone felt this way at some point, but um, I felt really scared about what the future held because I had always made these huge productions and I didn't know what was ever going to be possible again. And <clears throat> so it was very scary. And, and then I realized I, it's not even, that's not even what I want to make anyway. I want to make pictures about, I want to make pictures about what we're, what we've all felt because we've all also been very, um, commun- our communication has been very disconnected and, very um things have gotten really ugly between people political levels and people have been very scared and kind of have gone inward and got, it made their groups a lot smaller and i wanted to try and find a way to make work that could bring people together again or bring some sort of understanding back about who we are 
just as people and all in in all of our unique sort of weird eccentricities, you know, and and so by by using the kind of more formal portrait way of getting people to look at each other by making portraits, and even though yeah, sure these aren't classical portraits, but um, I started there. I started looking at August Sanders' Citizens of the 20, 20th Century and Irving Penn's Small Trades as a way into this work. And um, and I felt like by making portraits, I could I could show people each other again, if that makes sense. Through the use of archetypes, I could also show kind of a perspective of time and how how humans have been through all kinds of things. And maybe we don't agree on a lot of things, but you don't necessarily need to to be able to still find things about each other to love or to, or even just to like, I wanted to kind of bring just, I wanted to bring it all down to like just the core of what, what are the things that make people up and to show that we've all been through similar feelings over the past two years. So it doesn't necessarily matter how we got there so much as it matters that we've all been there and we've all felt the same way. And that's what, that's what glues us together. You know, they're stories in a way, because these images capture a moment. But to me, I look at, at the people in, in the images, and I, I kind of start putting together the pieces of a whole life. So I wonder, like, to what extremes you go to to kind of put stories together for your, you know, these, these subjects you're creating and putting in wardrobe and, um, you know, you have, there's, there's muscle tone and skin tone and age and size and wardrobe. Um, and that's before anything like lighting and, and, you know, some of the things that are, are the more technical parts of, of photography. So, you know, kind of specifically, how do you start putting these people together and and how do you decide kind of who makes it into an image? Who's who's rich enough? Who's interesting enough? And do these people do they live with you? And do they haunt you? And and I I don't know. I mean I think it would be really interesting to to be in your head when you're walking down the street because you must see humans a totally different way than most people do. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean I am always looking for subjects to use because I do love people just at a core level um i find people fascinating and the way they look and um but also the choices they make um in style and dress and the identities that they try on is always so fascinating because we're doing it all the time and i wanted to to use storytelling as a way in to people's kind of um psychological states of being because um, all of these are kind of archetypal figures that I chose, and um, I, I thought that it was just a way to, to like through the use of those archetypes, it's a way to, to talk about something that's that's much bigger than what than what any of us are, and using the mountain as a sort of symbolic place where individuals have gone for centuries in storytelling to, um, to be alone and when they're at their most like inner turmoil kind of place in life um, to have a reckoning with themselves on the top of this so-called mountain or to um, have like a spiritual death and then um, subsequent rebirth on this mountain. Like overall, I want it to be a positive show about 
hope and about what kind of stories we could tell in the future. And because the stories that people are telling right now about the future are just so bleak and repetitive and it's not um, like regardless of how real they are or not, that's not what I'm here for. It's just like the future is totally, it's a mystery to us. We don't know what's happening in the future. So we, so why not tell more positive stories or stories that are inspiring or weird or funny, you know? There is always a degree of, of humor with your with your characters and, and the people in, in your work. There's always there mm-hmm. always seems to be like a bit of a warning where it's like take this to heart, but don't take it too seriously. Like let go a little bit. Let go as much as you can. Realize that there's a range to these people. What's sad isn't only sad. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing is like with every good tragedy you've got comedy. And people are just so much more complex than the kind of binary sort of state that we've managed to believe that people are the last two years or maybe even a little longer. It feels very much like we've all kind of had to choose a side and that side, whatever chose, whatever choice we made early on is like what, what we are and what represents us. And it's just not true. Like people are just so much more complex than that and it's okay if we change our minds and if we if we don't know everything all the time and truth is always changing people are changing we're evolving based on our conversations and new people we meet we're evolving our identities based on what we want when we walk out the door each morning you know and so I don't know it's just all like the fiction of of life and the dreams and imagination is just as and the humor of it it all is just as important as all the other stuff and I and I do I like I put my questions in the work but I also I also put things in it that I'm that I just find like just simply funny (laughs) because I think that stuff that's important too how do you how do you write the characters and how do you know what they're saying is what you ultimately want them to say? Are you a multiple drafter? Are you a, a one take wonder? Are you, do you let people improv? Specifically for those interviews, it was really, I, I just came up with three questions that I thought might elicit some sort of truth out of the person, some sort of truthful nugget, even if it wasn't, um, even if it seemed like it wasn't profound in any way, that's not what I was looking for. I was just looking to um, to show little details of people and people's experiences and people's loves or hates. I just wanted something to come through that was honest and um, or that would elicit some sort of memory in someone. So I just chose three questions. I scribbled down three questions and then... I shot a lot of people and I put together the moments. It was very difficult to edit that actually. It, there was a couple of times where I was just like, wow, I really fucked this one up. Like, I don't know how I'm going to put this all together. Cause, because the moments were so different and the stories were so um, like just one side over here was like, sometimes it was really, really sad. And then another story was really funny like that. And so I was just like, how is this all going to work? What kind of music do I put on this? Like, how is this going to all tie together? Because I knew I, I knew what I wanted out of it was just to show um, a little truth in humans. And because I think just just being able to show those 
in an honest way, regardless if they're funny or sad or what, um, <clears throat> it might just connect with people. And that's always what I'm trying to do with all those details, because the more detailed I try and get in my work, I feel like the more universal it becomes and more accessible to more people. So, yeah, but there came a point where I was just like, oh, my God, we've been working on this for a while now and just not working. Like, how is this going to how are these going to connect? And then and then shortly after that, we figured it out. Like, suddenly it just worked. And and then from that point on, I was like, don't touch a thing. Don't change a thing. It's just it's working. I don't know why it's working. <laughs> but, um, yeah. But I love I. Yeah, it's very much representative of, of just um just talking to these people and um, talking to them. Obviously, they're all in character, so like in their in in their costumes and stuff. But but they're telling truths about themselves. So I love that mixture of um, you know the the fiction mixed in with with like with real moments, real emotional moments from people. Um, but yeah, I talked to them a lot about their character. I sent them. Sometimes I sent them pictures and we kind of came up with, we, we spoke about the last two years and experiences that they had had. And, and then we just got, got, got to a place where I felt like when I felt like they really owned their character for themselves, that there was enough truth mixed in there that they could really imagine who this character was. Then, then I felt like we were ready. So it was it was talking about backstory and, and motivation and then asking questions, but they didn't necessarily have a script. Yeah, because I, to I told them all individually what was important for me to th that I was trying to get out of out of these works that we were making together um, out of the project. So we all knew what we all knew what it was about. It was about the last two years and the emotional um, and kind of psychological states of being that were so drastically different from one moment to the next. You know, one one day I'd wake up and I'd be like, fuck yeah, I know exactly what I'm going to do to sort this shit out. I'm like, I know I've got a plan now. Even though the world is a mess, I know what I'm doing and I feel great. And then like talk to me after lunch and I'm in tears, just like, where is it all going? What are we, what's, what is the future? Am I ever going to be able to work again? You know, there, there's just been so many um, questions and fears and, and everyone, and I knew that everyone felt that too, regardless of what they believed um, about what was going on or what caused it or, you know, none of that stuff was about, none of that was, was important for what I was making. It was just about, where are we at now and how do we how have we felt what do you know about directing now after doing this film that maybe you didn't know two years ago well that's a big question what do i know now that i didn't know two years ago well one thing that i started doing um early on in the pandemic was i started writing a lot um i hadn't been i hadn't really been um focusing on writing i'd been dabbling in it or tinkering with it but I, it was always something that I wanted to get better at. And it was something I was really terrified of because I knew it was a difficult medium and kind of tedious. Um, talk to any writer and they always say <clears throat> every writer is like a great procrastinator because I think it's, it's just like, that's like the first thing you do before you go sit down and write. You have to procrastinate for as long as possible. 
so I was procrastinating my whole life. And finally, during the pandemic, I just, um, I, I always had to have a creative outlet to keep my sanity. And more than ever, I needed to create. And it was the one time that I wasn't able to create the same way that I always knew how. And, and um, so I just sat down and started writing. And I was really... Um, I was really lucky that I had that because I I was able to to, to stay creative and um, I wrote every day and I wrote a lot and and you know it's still it's still a really challenging medium but I I started with some short stories and from there um, I just, I started working on some other projects and and. I think I guess the way it reflected in the mountain is um, is I I did think more about backstory with these people and I did think more about um, just storytelling as a whole because I've been reading a lot of books on on filmmaking and storytelling and screenwriting and mythology and Greek mythology and and um, so I was thinking about. I was thinking, it's funny you asked that actually, because this is only the first time I really realized that, um, that I was probably really affected by that, that it was really, I was really pulling from just centuries of storytelling because, you know, we're always telling the same stories and we're always using the same sort of archetypal figures to tell the stories. And that was really a huge thing that I brought into this that I think I wasn't really thinking as much about before. I'm wondering if you're thinking about your work going forward at this point and if there is some some hope in your mind about doing um, larger, you know, group work again, films that have uh, more scenes, uh, bigger productions. Is, does that stuff still excite you? Is it something you, you want to get back to? And then the second part of that question is, have you thought about moving into, you know, features at any point, something, you know, for a, a streaming or, or theatrical release? Because I certainly see you being uh, capable of that if it's something you wanted to do. Yeah, it is something I want to do. I, w- I, I would never say I want to I shoot a crowd for the sake of shooting a crowd. But if I'm telling a story, obviously, that has a crowd in it for whatever reason the story took us to a crowd scene then that's that's how i would go back to shooting crowds because um i've done a lot of crowd work now and and yeah sure i can always think of cool scenes to put people in for crowds but um unless there's some like greater emotional sort of story that needs to be told in a crowd i probably won't do it anytime soon because um, cause I've done, I've done that. I feel like I, I did that to a certain point where I was like, all right, good. <laughs> got the crowds. I, I, I got everything I wanted out of crowds for now, but as for doing a feature film, yeah, that's something that's, a, that's been a goal of mine for a while now. And unfortunately movies are nothing without the story. So there has to be a script first that's worth turning into a movie. <laughs> that's the first step. Thus the writing learning how to write because I've always written my own stories and even though they're they're much smaller than a feature film 
unless I got really lucky and somebody else's story landed on my plate that was that was worth diving into then yeah I can't I can't see it going that way I think I have to do the work first I I think I have to learn how to be a writer so that I can be a director (laughs) if that makes any sense uh, you said at the beginning, all the way back to going to that Eggleston show, that one of the reasons you wanted to become a photographer is to make people feel that extreme jolt of, of emotion, of of recognition, of life-changing magic, you know, when they see your your images. What kind of response have, have you gotten from, from this most recent show? And, and do you feel like you are living up to that, uh, you know, sense of purpose that you thought about early on? Um, so this, this, I was, I was in the gallery the other day cause I've been going, I've been coming here. I'm now at the gallery, by the way, you, you went on my little adventure with me in the cab, but I was in the gallery the other day and, um, I saw a couple younger people. They were probably like in their mid twenties walking around looking at the pictures and then um and then I what whatever I was there for I think I had a meeting or something I finished that and I left and when I was outside waiting for my car to pick me up these girls came running down and they were when they got to me they were all out of breath because they wanted to one of them in particular wanted to tell me how she um she found my work couple years ago and was just like dying to talk to me and just to tell me how much it meant to her to see it in person and to meet me and and she just told me a little bit about like she wrote her thesis on me on my work and she seemed really shy and nervous but I was like no but this is the good stuff like this is this is so awesome that I that there's like enough of I managed to put enough into my pictures that they're now it's like giving back I don't know giving back that sounds really corny but like yeah it's like it's it's like affecting another person that's now an artist um that's now going to take a little bit of that and then put it in her work to then hopefully affect other people and just and it just keeps going and going and going so now I'm a part of that lineage which is so cool it's like that's 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 what artists do. They like, continue the idea of putting a future there for the world to make it worth living in. That was Alex Prager. Her new show, Part One, The Mountain, is up at Lehman Maupin Gallery in London through March 5th. You can follow her on Instagram at Alex Prager. For reservations at The Nomad London, it's www.thenomadhotel.com London. Thank you for listening to Common Decency. Our show is produced by Rob Corso, Casey Kahn, and me, Howie Kahn, for Freetime Media. Our theme music is by John Palmer. Special thanks to Sarah Levine, Alejandro Hassan, Lisa Zivin, Kristen Millar, and Andrew Zobler. Common Decency will return soon with a brand new guest. This is Common Decency, a Nomad London podcast. Checking out 